Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Roberts Show. This, this is The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. On today's show, we have Colin O'Brien, marketing manager at Rubik Exchange. We're going to discuss details about the project, funding, team and token, along with any plans on the roadmap. Colin, thank you for joining us. And let's get started by giving us a brief background about yourself and how you landed at Rubik. Thanks, Joe. A uh, brief background about me. I've been in sales and marketing pretty much my entire adult life, 17 plus years now. And gosh, I got involved with Rubik just being in the industry for the last five years as an investor. It was back in late 20, early 21. I was looking at the multi-blockchain landscape and looking for solutions that would help move value between networks. I came across Rubik as a project. I identified it. I became active in the community. They reached out to me to see if I wanted to do some work with them. And about a year and a half later, here I am. So when you first came across Rubik, what are the problems they were trying to solve? And has that changed since then? Yeah. So they're trying to solve the problem of interoperability between the different blockchains and how we can move value between them easily. Right now, it's a very cumbersome process where you are making multiple trades using multiple services to just get one token migrated into another token on a different blockchain network. It's still a headache, but Rubik hasn't swayed from that mission statement. That is what our founders set forth as a vision for the project. And they are hitting on all cylinders right now. So we have over 21 blockchain networks, part of the ecosystem, over 60 DEXs, dozens of bridges. So they are unifying all the different blockchains together in one kind of cohesive project. People are able to move value seamlessly between all the different blockchains that are connected to the Rubik ecosystem. And that is only going to improve over time. So what is the, you know, you kind of hit it on that, but what is the main value now that users can get from using Rubik? A one-click swap. So right now, if, if you were to go to Uniswap, you're limited to the liquidity on Uniswap. Same with OneInch or SushiSwap or any other major decentralized exchange. You're limited to just their liquidity and what blockchain networks those decentralized exchanges are located on. By using somebody like Rubik, you are now opening yourself up to all the liquidity. Again, over 60 different decentralized exchanges across 21 blockchains. So now we have over 15,500 tokens at your disposal where you can just swap value to and from tokens freely. And now this whole thing is predicated upon the fact that applications are going to be built across all these blockchain networks. Right now, it's still in its infancy. We don't have a ton of applications out there yet, especially not like a killer application. And mass adoption has yet to happen. But when it does, people are going to need to be able to move value between different applications on their phones the same way they do now, but in an environment for Web3. So that is what Rubik is facilitating. Seamless value transfer. When did you guys first launch? Launched back in late 20. Okay. Uh, we just celebrated our two-year anniversary. So it was, uh, it was September of 20 that Alexandra Korniva and Vladimir Tokomarov, our founders, started Rubik. And they started with a team of four, actually. Now we have 30 people on team. Awesome. Are you guys uh, distributed, uh, I guess, across the globe? Yeah, we're, we are a, a, a global team. Absolutely. <laughs> Pretty much everyone is these days, right? In the space, at least. Yep. Awesome. Let's kind of, you know, dive a little bit more off what you said. Um, why would a user want to go to Rubik Exchange and not use one inch 
or Uniswap that exists right now and has a trust factor? Absolutely. Well, we, we leverage um, Uniswap, OneInch, SushiSwap. We utilize their liquidity. So if I wanted to trade a certain token and I just go to one of those providers, I may not be getting the best value for my trade. What we're doing is we're aggregating all of those different projects and all the liquidity that they have. And we are parsing through to see who has the best rates and who is going to execute that to retain as much value as possible on your swap. Then obviously we gotta be thinking, what about fees, right? Well, is it the same cost if I trade through Rubik versus going to Uniswap directly? How does that work here? So the great thing about Rubik is any on-chain swaps, if I'm just swapping on Ethereum, I'm using Uniswap V3, if you use Rubik, we don't charge any additional fee on top. You are paying Uniswap's AMM fee the same way you would if you went and used them directly. It's only when you do a cross-chain swap. So from you know a token where the liquidity is on Uniswap V3 on Ethereum, and I am going over to ApeSwap on BNB or Trader Joe on Avalanche, then there is a fee incurred. But the great part is, Joe, $1. Doesn't matter. You can make a $50,000 trade. $1 is the fee to make that trade. Wow. $1. All right. Well, we're going to come back to that $1. (laughs) So when you guys aggregate all this liquidity for the listeners, like how is it different? Why even have Uniswap if you guys kind of have the ability to aggregate, you know, this liquidity from anywhere and serve the best price? Well, what all of these different projects are doing, Uniswap, all the different bridging projects like multi-chain, seller, they are building the actual products, right? They're building the AMM. They hold all the liquidity. They're in charge of the security of those funds. What we're doing is we're just leveraging what they've already built. We have no backend on our side of things. Everything that Rubik does is completely front-end, interacting directly with the blockchain. So we're taking all the hard work everyone is doing and we're compiling it together in a comprehensive package that makes it easy for not just users to interact between blockchains seamlessly, but for businesses to now open up their potential user base to all the value that's locked on all these different blockchains right now. Now, for executing a transaction, does Rubik execute that from one liquidity provider or can it split up those trades into multiple trades to execute for the best price across multiple AMMs? That is something that our devs are looking at right now to be able to split up a trade into multiple transactions between different liquidity sources. But what we have done, we just launched a new feature that allows the users to choose which route they would like to take. So if they want the fastest option, if they want the one that preserves the most value, or if they just have a particular provider that they wanted to use because they may have a special promotion going on where if you execute so many trades using them, you qualify for some type of raffle prize. We're letting users select what route they want to take. The analogy that I've used lately to describe this is you can think of Rubik almost as like a a map source, right? Like Apple Maps or Google Maps, where I want to get from point A to point B. So we're going to show you all the routes that you can get there. We're going to show you the fastest. We're going to show you the most fuel efficient. Ultimately, it's up to you to decide. Now, what makes Rubik so great, especially from a security perspective, is because we're not in charge of any of the funds that these other businesses are managing. We're able to, if there's any malfeasance on any blockchain, any bridge, any decentralized exchange, we can truncate that route immediately, automatically with 24-7 monitoring. And so we'll still get you from point A to point B 
It just may be a different route because that particular road is now closed due to something going on with it. How does a user understand or know that they're getting the best price quoted to execute? We present that to them. I mean, that's the default, right? The default is to preserve value. If they want a faster option, we can present them with that option. But ideally, it is about preserving as much value as possible. Got it. And so when we want to swap cross-chain, what is it that makes it unique about you guys that you're able to execute that efficiently for the user? It comes down to the aggregation of the bridges themselves as well, right? So we analyze not just what token you have and what token you want, but what's the best way to get there, right? Do I need to transfer that into a stable coin first and then move that asset over across to bridge? Or should it be in a major coin like Ethereum and then I can get wrapped Ethereum and then trade that wrapped Ethereum? We're doing all of that legwork behind the scenes in a very, very short period of time to make it easy for users, again, to maximize their time and to minimize the amount of fees that they incur throughout that process. If you were to do it manually, Joe, it would take half an hour to an hour just to go through and analyze all the different bridges and all the different decentralized exchanges. And then by the time you get finished with that, as you know, prices have changed, right? So what used to be efficient or the most efficient may no longer be. It can change within seconds. So that's what makes Rubik unique and just making it easy for users. What is the process in which you guys put in place to, I guess, call it onboard new tokens in your swap feature? I noticed, I think your site mentions 15,000 tokens, right? Yep. That's a lot of different pairs, right? And so what's that process look like and how do you expand from here? Sure. Well, I mean, when we include a new decentralized exchange or automated market maker in our ecosystem, we basically accrue all of the tokens that they have. And that is now part of our ecosystem. There are individual companies, though, who may not be listed on major decentralized exchanges yet, and they need a foot in the door with us to get listed on them, or they would like to have a conversation about it. We'll work hand in hand with them to get that up and running so that we can get them into our larger ecosystem and then plug them into the greater crypto community as well. So who do you look as some of your competitors right now, I think there's also, you know, like any swap, is there, are they a competitor and who are some other people that may be similar, but how do you guys differentiate? It's funny, you know, I don't, we don't really have any competitors just because we're leveraging the work that so many other projects are doing currently in this space where I like to call us an aggregator of aggregators. <laughs> there is a need right now for all these different liquidity sources. There's a need for all these different bridges between all these networks because there's only so many hours in the day, right? And there's just at the end of the day, any given team can only do so much. So we took one step back beyond all the stuff that they were doing and said, hey, we can now manage this, provide a comprehensive system that scans all of this work and is always going to give you know a very expedient response to the user in terms of, hey, I want to just get this token real quick, right? There's no fuss, there's no must, you just do. And that's that's how we get to mass adoption, in my opinion, is we just make it easy, just like Web2, by removing all the barriers that currently exist in crypto. When it comes to Rubik Exchange, so what applications or, let's say, companies or businesses do you see in the future that could integrate your product within their offering? And what might that look like? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked that. 
Our team has put together a software development kit. It is really easy to integrate. We've had teams integrate it in as little as 30 minutes. It's free, it's white label, and it's fully customizable. So let me give you an example, because Web2 companies are going to come into the fold of Web3 over time, right? So let's take some popular apps right now. Say I have Venmo. I just bought my friend some lunch. He reimbursed me. He gave me 30 bucks, right? Now I've got 30 bucks in my Venmo. And now I want to use an Uber, right? The way it's currently done is Venmo needs to then send the money through your bank. And then your bank needs to issue that credit over to Uber. And now I can use that credit over an Uber. Web2 is built around that centralized process of needing to have somebody there that is going to give you permission and that is reliable, right? And you're paying for that service, essentially. Web3 is an environment where we have trustless, permissionless access and data exchange. So Rubik being installed in both Venmo's app and Uber's app can handle that. Now, Venmo could be built on something like Polygon. And Uber may decide they want to build on Avalanche or Telos or something, right? What we're able to do is handle all of that behind the scenes. End users won't even know they're using Rubik. They're using their apps like they normally would. We're just providing the existing applications with Web3 cross-chain functionality. All right. So let's jump back into that fee structure. You mentioned dollar for those cross-chain transactions, zero fees for the native how do you guys make money? How does the protocol make money for the foundation? You know, how does it stay in business? <laughs> well, we do offer our partners who integrate us, integrate our SDK, the option of selecting a 0.3% fee, which is a pretty standard across the industry. Mm-hmm. But we see a lot of our partners adopting the $1 model because, you know, no one wants to pay exorbitant fees. doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. If you don't have to spend that extra money, you shouldn't have to. We actually have a lot of transactions going through our network. We have over 50,000 users right now already. We are onboarding more projects every day. We have over 100 projects onboarded, utilizing our SDK, utilizing our widget. And with that onboarding of these new businesses, we're bringing in all of their users into our ecosystem. So the more businesses we bring into the fold, we are going to grow our user base exponentially. Got it. So you guys are going to be looking at basically volume of transactions on the dollar fee. Absolutely. From either your third parties, customers or the cross chain transactions. Absolutely. So from a structure standpoint, you know, is Rubik set up as a foundation? Kind of how is that structured? Uh, It's set up as a corporate entity. We're based out of Dubai, United Arab Emirates. I won't get into like the the technical structure of how the company is formulated, but I will say that, uh, yeah, they're registered in the UAE and... It's not as like a DAO or anything like that. It's a simple top-down structure. And do you guys, have you guys raised capital up to date? A very, very little amount at first. Uh, It's pretty much self-funded by our founders who have had successful ventures in this industry prior to creating Rubik. And do you want to hit on that, you know, the founders and kind of their background that, you know, gives credit to Rubik? Yeah, well, they've, I mean, between our like C-level execs, they have experience working for major companies like Microsoft, Visa, dozens of years of experience working in businesses like that and in traditional finance as well. That has translated into, they got involved in blockchain before the huge leg up in 2016, 2017. And yeah, I mean, we don't have, you know, $5 million to throw at a a minute long QR (laughs) 
<laughs> Super Bowl commercial <laughs> like Coinbase does. What we're really doing is, you know, we're trying to work with as many businesses as we can, secure as many grants as we can to that kind of takes a little bit of the strain off. It always does. I don't care if you have a hundred million dollars, no one's going to turn down 50 grand, right? So we're going to be focusing more on business to business marketing and things like that, as opposed to user ed marketing, which just can balloon in price so much. And again, we feel like if we do that and we're able to convince these businesses that Web3 is the way forward and it is going to be a multiple blockchain environment due to a number of logical factors like certain blockchains will be better at finality. Some will just be really fast. Some will work better for data storage. Others will work better for volume of transactions per second for things like gaming. So there's always going to be different blockchain networks that have pros and cons that will attract different apps to their environment. And as such, we see that as Rubik being a fundamental part of Web3, because there are going to be different blockchains all kind of working in unison with different applications built on each of them. And there won't just be, you know, one data blockchain app, right? There's going to be at least two. I like the rule of three, right? There's two major and then a distant third. And you see that throughout industries around the world. So I don't see blockchain tech being different from that. Some regions will, you know, attract certain applications more than others. And then others will just do it because it's of financial benefit to them. So we're trying to navigate this ever-changing landscape in the best way we can. Our, our founders have been very prescient throughout this entire process. We've definitely made a few pivots here and there. For example, like our founder originally intended to create an anonymizer for hmm. these cross-chain swaps, right? But he cited tornado swap and the issues that they may incur in the future this is before anything with tornado swap, but he was like, you know, there may be regulatory compliance issues with this and we're not seeing a ton of volume, right? So if the volume's not there and we have this high risk factor, got it. let's hold off for now. So those are things that the founders have done, our developers have done, our product managers done that, you know, I think is necessary for any startup to thrive in a burgeoning industry. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I like to tell people when you're investing in crypto in the sector, you're, you're investing in startups, right? <laughs> yeah. There's going to be pivots along the way and the outcome we're not really going to see until it's hindsight 10 years out, right? We're going to look back like, oh, yeah, now I see it, right? That, that was obvious, yeah. but in hindsight, but now you're like, you're not quite sure. So let's move into more on the tokens you guys offer, right? I believe you guys have a few different tokens. What are they? What is the purpose of them? Sure. Really, it's just one token, RBC. Okay. There's 124 million. We do have versions of that token on other networks. So we have BNB chain, we have a BRBC, and then we also have on Polygon RBC proof of stake. Those are part of the 124 million. So if you see liquidity on Polygon, you know, a million RBC there, we've locked up a million RBC on the Ethereum network to move that over. Tokens are used for governance. Currently, right now, our community just voted on a governance feature where if you have over 5,000 RBC, you have lifelong no fees. Mm. No matter how long you use Rubik, no matter how popular we get, you will never pay any fees if you hold more than 5,000 RBC. And then we have some additional utility coming down the road as well that we're not ready to talk about just yet. Beyond the 5K, do you see any future benefits or any proposals that may get voted on for any type of rev share back to those token holders? Yes. So we actually have staking right now. And our users are able to 
be rewarded in either RBC or stablecoin based on the revenue that the company is generating through our fees. So we're doing fee sharing essentially with our token holders as long as they're they're staking their tokens. We're sharing a lot of our fees out with our partners and again our token holders. But again, we're banking on on volume to really drive revenue for our business. So over the next decade, how do you kind of see tokens accrue more value for those that are holding them? I think the introduction of central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, is going to make onboarding fiat into crypto a lot easier for citizens around the world. When that happens, we're going to start seeing mass adoption. And we are going to start seeing the tokenization of all physical assets as well. So, you know, an NFT of some form for literally everything you can think of, driver's licenses, certificates, permits, bill of ladings, invoices, receipts. These are all going to be things that I see as like the bulk of NFTs in the future. And as we tokenize all of our physical real world assets, it is going to kind of open that door to unlocking the value for what the tokens for these respective projects currently have, right? As we digitize all of real estate and all these different things in our physical world, that value will then become part of the environment and the tokens like real estate companies, right? There are a number of different projects out there right now looking to tokenize real estate. Well, their tokens, whoever succeeds in that space as like the front runner their token is going to explode in value. And that value comes from the tokenization of real world assets. So that's where I see it coming from, a complete convergence of tokenized assets and the conversion of fiat currency into digital currencies, like central bank digital currencies. So you mentioned NFTs there, right? So I I don't think we've covered that at all here, but it was a hot topic, especially last year. So you know, with this cross-chain trading, is NFTs come into play at any point? And if so, when? Absolutely. We actually have an NFT widget right now that allows you to shop NFTs across a number of different NFT marketplaces, the same way you could with the current eShop. So a lot of these different marketplaces right now, they have single solitary buys, right? It's almost like an auction, an eBay auction. What we're offering is more like an Amazon shopping cart. You're able to select and choose which NFTs you want from a certain collection or between multiple collections, and then purchase them all at once. And again, you can do that using whatever token you have. We're doing the conversion on the back end for you. So you just have value in whatever token, again, over 15,500 tokens in our ecosystem, and you can buy whatever NFTs you want. Now, again, though, I see NFTs in their current iteration, right? where it's mostly just a graphic or a picture or just artwork in general, right? And that's that's the NFT. That's a very base level understanding for like the average person as we wade into this new technology. That's just a really easy way for people to understand and digest it. But again, I think that that is actually going to be a very minimal aspect of what NFTs represent 10 years from now. Anything that you would want to keep safe and secure and not be able to be divvied up or split up or anything to actually take a physical asset and then digitize it, we're going to tokenize it in a non-fungible token. So invoices, bill of ladings, receipts, licenses, permits, contracts, all of those things are going to be tokenized as an NFT. That's the future I see at least. 
So how do you keep the uh, community engaged, right? I mean, obviously, we're also going through a bear market right now, and maybe the yeah. volume across a lot of things is a lot lower than it was a year ago. So how do you, you know, engage the community, keep them aware of what's happening and have them stay incentivized to participate long term? Sure. We do weekly podcasts. So every Friday, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, I jump on both our Twitter spaces and our Telegram. And we put out a weekly report about what Rubik has been doing with regards to development and marketing elements who we're partnering with and things like that going on behind the scenes. So I present that news to our community every week. And then I have guests on and we talk about our partnerships together and just current trends going on in the industry just to keep our community engaged and involved. Because yeah, it, like you said, it's it's really hard when there is such negative sentiment in the market. And then you, on top of that, have kind of a global economic downturn right now. It looks like we're headed yeah. potentially towards a global recession. It's definitely challenging. I think the most important thing is to not lose sight of what the end goal is. And that these are just trends in the market that will subside like anything. It goes in waves, right? So We'll have a couple more cycles before this decade is done. No knowing when they'll be, but I think that's healthy for the growth of the industry too. As you see traditional investments come into the space, as people start to educate themselves more, they start to understand the technology better. We're in a good spot. I mean, I liken to where we are right now, where the internet and web two was back in the late nineties, you know, the pets.com era, the Googles were just being created. We didn't even have YouTube. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Twitter. Things that we consider staples of Web2, those were are still many years out. And what is being built right now, people are still trying to find their identity. Different blockchains are find, trying to find their identities. People are trying to attract users and, and attract certain businesses. So we're still kind of navigating these murky waters, but we've done this. We've done this before a little over 20 years ago. So there's a lot to draw upon from that. And it's important to look back at that and say, hey, yeah, the market peaked in 1999, 2000, and then it dropped off again. But now, now look at tech stocks. Look where they went after the recession of 2008. Things started to surge again. I think it was 2012. Things really started to surge again. And then we see that same resurgence late last decade. So everything goes in market cycles and market trends, but this is brand new technology. Like the thing that I, I nerd out on all, all the time is this is decentralized ledger technology. This is a new form of accounting yep. at the end of the day. And it's important to take that step back and realize, wow, you know, throughout human history, we've recorded our debits and our credits on physical pieces of paper. It's only in the last 60, 70 years that we actually digitized it. But now we have a way to do it without any middlemen. And we don't have to spend a ton of electricity. We don't have to have a ton of hardware to operate this system. We just need to adopt it as a society. And again, like I said, the biggest hurdles right now are literally getting fiat currency into digital currency. Awesome, awesome. So, you know, as we're coming closer to the close for everybody, I'm sure they want to know What's happening in the future when it comes to the roadmap, right? What are you guys looking to implement? What may be occurring in the next year? What can users expect? We are going to continue building. We haven't stopped. In fact, we've accelerated with the recent downturn in the market conditions. A lot of different projects that we're working with and that we are now integrating into our ecosystem now have a little more time on their plate because you know everything is kind of slowing down for people. So we're, we're able to now accelerate because we're taking the work 
and leveraging the work that so many brilliant and talented people have done and just putting it into our aggregation system. So we're going to continue to add more blockchains. We're going to continue to add more decentralized exchanges to source even more liquidity. We're going to continue to add new bridges so that we have more routes that we can go between different blockchain networks. And we are going to try to secure some major partnerships with some legacy businesses as well to show that, hey, you can jump in crypto and you can now access all of crypto very, very, very easily. That's the game plan. That is the roadmap. A heavy emphasis on business to business so that we can get Rubik's technology in the hands of current app makers so that they can update their apps and people can actually start using crypto in a real world way. At the end of the day, that's what this is all about. It's about using a new type of money in this new data system that we've created. And currently it's complicated, right? Rubik removes that complication. I agree. All right. So for all the users that would like to first connect with the app, what should they do? Where should they go? You can check us out at rubik.exchange. Our application is app.rubik.exchange. But you know there are a number of different projects out there that are currently utilizing our SDK. Again, it's white label, so you may not see Rubik there, but they are utilizing it for their cross-chain functionality. And that goes for our widget as well. We're working with a number of projects to make it easy for people to purchase their tokens directly on their project's websites. They don't have to go to separate locations and things like that. But again, rubik.exchange, we have all of our social information there. We have all of our documentation. Everything is available open source on our GitHub. So if you really are a technical person or you're a developer, you're a business, you want to take a look at what we're actually doing, what we're building, you can go over to our GitHub and check out all the information regarding Rubik and we can get you up and running with our SDK. Like I said, 30 minutes. So I appreciate that, Colin. For all of our listeners, go over to rubik.exchange, check them out. Also like and subscribe and uh, we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Joe Roberts Show.